Hello all, we are recording inside the Cohab Podcast Studio space under the Texas Street Bridge by the Red River in downtown Shreveport, Louisiana, and this is the 3180 Podcast. I am your host, Josh Clayton. Thomas Young is in the studio with me handling our sound, and we are trying to determine through conversations with folks in this area what's going on in the 318. What is Shreveport's identity? We are poised to make this town the town that we want it to be. It's time for Shreveport to make a 180. So every Thursday, we're here at Cohab, under the bridge, talking to different folks around town who are doing just that. Welcome to the 3180 Podcast. Welcome to Episode 2 of the 3180 Podcast. Today, we're talking about real estate with the Rialta guys, Nick McElhatton, Randolph Smith, and Trent Siskren. These three guys are also going to talk about the development at Ridgeway Square, which is a fantastic space um, on Marshall Street, right around the corner from Cohab, where we are today. So please uh, listen in to Nick McElhatton, Randolph Smith, and Trent Siskren of Rialta. How are you guys doing today? Good morning, man. Doing well. Doing well. Doing well. I have brought you guys in here to talk about Shreveport and uh, specifically the real estate market, the cool stuff that Rialta and um, the cool stuff that Rialta is representing downtown. And some of the re- some of the residential stuff that you guys are involved in, and where Shreveport's real estate market is going, uh, I think it's pretty fair to say that the residential market is in a little bit of a slump right now, and the downtown market seems to be on a slow upswing, on an uptick. So, um, Trent, let me know what your thoughts are on this whole thing. Yeah, I mean, as far as the residential goes, you know, Nick and Randolph really are more on that. But as as, as far as sort of the vibe in downtown, I, I think that uh, there is a lot of uh, interest in market rate, be it condos or apartment complexes. And I think there's a, a core group of people that are interested in, in sort of that, uh, that walkable living in a sort of a cool area. Well, what brought you into the commercial real estate space over here? Um, well, you know, I, uh, I moved to, to Houston right after uh, I graduated from, uh, from Centenary and got into the investment sales uh, arena for commercial real estate down there. Spent 10 years down there in commercial real estate and finance and just had an opportunity to move back to Shreveport. When I came back, uh, I was deciding whether or not to stay in the finance uh, sector or get back into real estate, and I wanted to get back into real estate. So that kind of started everything off about five years ago. Um, you know, my current real estate career here in Shreveport. Good deal. Randolph, what brought you back to Shreveport? Um, you know, I've, I've been, let's see, I'll be the fifth generation of my family in Shreveport um, that have been, you know, in the business world. And I was in Dallas, and as much as I love Dallas, it was just, I prefer the speed of Shreveport. And I just want to see Shreveport, you know, return back to where it should be. And, you know, without people like myself and everyone in this room moving back here, I mean, you know, there's always that constant feeling of wanting to go to Dallas, San Francisco, places like that where there's a lot more going on. But if we don't uh, come back, I mean, that was my main reason for coming back. Cool. When um, when did you graduate high school? 2005. And you got out of what? You got out of Loyola. I went to Loyola. Loyola. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Trent's a Bird graduate. I know Nick McElhatton was a basketball star at Bird High School. He was. <laughs> <laughs> you got more. You got more playing time than I did. I promise you. That. I mean, you ought to see the guy slam dunk. I mean, yeah. good lord, from the free throw line. That's a long time ago. Long time ago. <laughs> so, uh, Nick, what did, when you left Bird High School, what did you go do? Uh, that's a, actually a great question. I went down to Baton Rouge uh, and uh, finished there with a construction management degree. Came back up here and started working for Boggs and Pool over in Bossier, building a new Bipsy. Uh, before I decided I wanted to go to med school and finished all my requirements from med school while teaching at Loyola where I met this guy, Randolph. Uh, I actually taught him physics and uh, coached him in basketball. You want to see a three-point shooter, that's, that's the guy. Right? Todd is very liberal word. Todd is a liberal word, that's right. We, we, uh, we made sure. from that. That's right. No, no, that's good. That's good. <laughs> it is all good. I, I did was, not know you taught high school physics. I was 23 teaching 18-year-olds, yeah. That's, oh, uh, man. It was tough. Uh, but whenever I met Randolph, we would talk about stuff, and I said, hey, buddy, when you come back to town one day, we're going to – we're going to do something together. We did. And then yeah. he went off to SMU and did his thing. I stayed here working. I worked with uh, Terry Elston, uh, helping him build houses, and then got into real estate um, before we bought King Hardware. Okay. And then I, I've always kind of stayed in real estate. Randolph came back into town and said, hey, I want to do my own company here. What do you think about it? Let's get together. So we got together and joined and started RCM Realty. Okay. Um, and then a few years down the road, uh, Trent and I are talking and he says hey come to lunch let's start 
let's let's see if what can happen here. Uh, we've got this company over here that we've just broken away and, and started called Rialta. We want a residential part. Let's see if y'all can fit in. And me and Randolph and Megan started talking, and then we got uh, Rand Fawbaugh involved, and Trent kind of put us all together, and and uh, that's that's where we are now. And that's how Rialta became a, a commercial commercial and residential real estate brokerage firm. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know the history behind that. What um, Nick, what uh, you know, how come you didn't want to go be a doctor? Well, they wouldn't. They uh, so I, I got all my requirements, took my MCAT, got everything together. Um, I messed up my application the first time I sent yeah. it in, and then, I mean, that was a $500 mess up. Then year two, you have to wait an entire year before you can submit again. I submitted again, and a portion of my application the second time didn't make it to the med school again. Okay. And there's no way around that. And there's no, I mean, it was completely a, a dropped ball uh, that, you know, I probably could have handled better, but after doing it twice, I was like, um, I'm, I'm moving on to something the else. The universe's way of telling you you don't belong. Basically, it's kind of <laughs> how I felt about it. What? Uh, had, when did you guys buy King Hardware? Shoo, 2010. So it's been about nine years now. And what made you want to do that? Well, that's funny. I, I was in real estate. I sold the guy's house. Okay. Um, and he was a family friend, and he said, "Hey, I've got my business is for sale too. You might want to look at it." My wife was working at the home design center doing kitchens and baths and, and things like that. She looked at it. She always wanted to be in retail. She's excellent at it. Uh, we went and looked at it, talked to them, and, and nothing ever got in the way. And, and the next thing I, I know, we're standing at the closing table signing papers. And on uh, July the 1st, one like almost one month to the day after we had our son, we, we owned a store. And a store they've been around since 1955, and we're trying yeah. to, you know, we tried to make it go. And Yeah. I mean, You've done a couple of pivots through the way, or yeah, all yeah. The way now it's kind of everything changes. Yeah, yeah. Shreveport changes, and uh, small time hardware didn't work anymore. Uh, it wasn't bringing in the money that to support itself, so we we cut it down to a gift shop, and then now I mean we put it on the market because we're we've done other real estate ventures and investments, so uh, we we have it up for sale uh, to move away from retail, and hopefully somebody comes in and continues it because I mean it's a it's a great. It's a great uh, little little jewel for South Highlands in that area, and uh, we don't want to see it go. Yeah, and I just bought a house right over by that shopping center. I love that shopping center. It's a great. It's walking distance from me. That's great. And all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna put you on the hot seat, Randolph. What goes into the vacant wine country? What works there? You're gonna have to cut that space up. Yeah, um, that's way too big. Um, you know. Previously, I mean, it's just, that is just way, I mean, just think about no restaurant outside, I hate to say it, outside of Superior yeah. really can can function in that biggest space. And I think, you know, without going into too much Shreveport politics, you know, I think uh, it didn't work for Giuseppe's either. Yeah. But, but um, you know, it's just, it was a Michael's converted into a massive restaurant. Yeah. You know, yeah. funded, you know, it's been funded by some wealthy families. Sure, and, sure. Um, you know, I just don't think it's it's just not a realistic restaurant spot. Yeah, and, I, and I'll be the first one to say when I moved back here in 2008, when Wine Country was in its uh, previous location across Lawn Avenue, that I mean I know that was 10 years ago, but they had they had the only menu in town that exhibited any level of creativity. Oh, without a doubt, made me want to go there. I was at Wine Country once or twice a week. Um, I was also in the oil and gas business during the Haynesville, so I could afford to eat wine country a couple times right. a week. <laughs> I think when I, when I decided to go into private law practice, I quit eating there so much. But um, but anyway, yeah, J Jason brought a lot of cool stuff, and his brother Michael, too, brought a lot of cool stuff to Shreveport with that original location, and I hate that they couldn't make that giant place work. Yeah, I remember the original location. I mean, I can we, we had owned uh, Piermont Mall up until, I think, like 2001. Yeah. And so I remember, if you remember Joey's, yeah, that yeah, was in there, and okay. the Semolinas, and I remember Semolinas. Yeah, Joey's was before Joey Joey Kush, okay. um, who had a restaurant in there. It was delicious. He had those cheese biscuits. Everybody loved. I love the, yeah. and the shrimp Lafayette. And yeah, um, but that. you know, I just think they, you know, you hear that term, you kind of bite off. Not more, well, more than you can chew. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it just, you know, I think he. But then after that happened, I think he felt pressured. You know, everyone oh, yeah. was just like, oh, he has to go there. It's a, yeah. it's a no brainer. Oh, the bar is yeah. bigger. What um what do you think from the commercial side? What, I mean that that shopping center, at at least that's not the only. Are you I, that's the anchor tenant, I guess. It's the biggest space out there outside what, of Brookshire. Yeah, that. And well, oh, you got Brookshire's there too, yeah. but, um, man, that 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 was a Michaels until what year when Giuseppe converted it? Two thousand five, six. 
I know it was at least 2006 because um, a friend of mine who remained anonymous, we used to paint that bar red. Okay. Uh, so I was there definitely in right. 2006. I can promise you that. Well, what, He's actually your neighbor as well. Okay. Yeah. Right. So. Well, what, um, what, what do you think, Trent? What, what goes in that space on Lawn Avenue? Well, I mean, uh, you know, I, I guess it's a loaded question for me because you, you and I already have talked about this. But um, I think a food court and a high-end food court, uh, kind of like uh, how Key Mexico operated in uh, the brewery when they first started. Yeah. <clears throat> obviously with individualized kitchens okay uh centralized staff that kind of works the floor and then the bar side of it um where you know i my thought is that the bar would actually act as sort of the floor uh floor crew uh and also kind of wait on the tables but you know i think you could do uh, something really interesting there i mean you know just for example you've got uh you know five people at work in the office and they all want to go out to lunch and they can't figure out where they want to go. Well, I want this, I want that. Well, why don't we go here? We've got seven, eight options. We can all have what we want. Or a family, you know, you got uh, four kids and they all have different tastes. You know, you go and you've got this high-end food court where these people are, are creating these um, gastronomic type uh, dishes that are, are different for this area, but they're their cost point is much lower at the food court, yep. and they don't have to worry about a staff. And, they, and you know, let's just say like a, a ramen business that we all know from like going to Dallas, going to some place in Deep Ellum that makes, you know, you got yeah. a line out the door. They probably couldn't make a freestanding business in Shreveport work at this point. Maybe they could, I don't know. But you put them in a food court right next to a place serving high-end pizza, right next to a place serving gourmet burgers, and the entire thing is sitting, like, kind of like Chelsea Market, you know, I talked about mm-hmm. that in New York. Um, what's the one in New Orleans? Uh, I don't remember the one Saint in New Rock. Orleans. St. Yeah. Rock? Is that in Mid-City? It's in St. Rock. In St. Rock. <laughs> well, and there's one in Dallas, the truck yard or something like that. The truck yard was a lot of fun. That the Twisted Root people did. Lower Greenville? Uh-huh. That yeah. used to be just a shady area. And yeah. They've just completely, I mean, it, when we were at SB, we'd hang out down there, but it, you know, was not. And, and truck yard is a big outdoor space kind of thing with a big stage for live music an indoor bar kind of thing indoor bar and, and outdoor bar. Mm-hmm. outdoor bar and then all the food trucks and they rotate food trucks through there so mm-hmm. the food truck probably pays a one-month lease or one-week lease or something like that something well, like that they and, do and yeah. this also solves the food truck dilemma that that uh, the food truck got, uh, people have, have voiced i mean you know when i first moved back to when i first got back into real estate i was helping out uh, with the leasing of a property in downtown and I threw out to the ownership, I said, why don't we start getting food courts here, or fruit trucks here? And everybody was sitting around the table like, huh, I never thought about that. I yeah. was like, that's a no brainer. You know, I haven't spent time in Texas. I mean, they got them all over in Houston and you've got the huge food truck uh, on South Congress uh, in Austin. And yeah. uh, so if you've got the, the food court, it sort of gives you that same setting and you're not having to go around and try to chase uh, you know your clientele right? right which is one of the biggest complaints that every single food truck that came to that office building that I was working on kept saying is that it's hard to find that clientele mm-hmm. um, here you've got that destination and then you've got the food truck as a secondary option yeah. for events and uh, and whatnot or it's a good stepping stone between food truck and owning your own space too I mean it's, it's a little more probably if you already have a food truck drive it into the parking lot like what you're talking about yeah put, put the set up the food court but it's like hey in the parking lot we got three food trucks inside they've got people that maybe don't have financing to set up a full truck yet yeah it's an incubator for something larger yeah that'll be uh that's gonna be tough i'm just gonna lie with jason's yeah. deli there and what they have written into their lease that's gonna be uh it's really the, tough. It's going to yeah. be tough the way that Sealy Rice their leases in there. Because, okay. I mean, even we tried to put in some kind of a food in the front of ours, yeah. and we had to keep it under a certain percentage of sales um, in, in order. Oh, in front, in King Harbor. In Uptown. Right, right. right. Yeah. We, were gonna, we were gonna do a donut shop right in front. Oh, wow. And it uh, it just, it wasn't gonna work because we couldn't, the, the what we made on the donuts had to be a certain percentage, and then we weren't allowed to actually sell cups of coffee because of Starbucks and oh yes. I didn't realize and then that we couldn't have we couldn't have the donut because the bakery aspect with Brookshire's I mean it was there's, there's a lot because I mean all those leases are, are written are written differently to protect the tenants there and to make sure that there's uh, but I mean obviously Jason was in there with the restaurant well 
And, and that's nothing new. I mean, those, right. th- those things have been around. I mean, I've been dealing with them ever since I got into real estate. I mean, right. in, in 2003, if you believe in the concept, right. you can go push it through. That's true. And, you know, just tr- testing something, it doesn't make sense to go and try to negotiate with these tenants. But if you have this concept and you set it up yeah. and ownership is 100% behind it and believes in it, then they're going to go try to sell it and try to get it and try to get it done. I'm not going to lie. My money is still on Blockbuster going in there. <laughs> We're going to have the biggest Blockbuster in the, in the but country. The, you're going to take the what? Is it Washington State or Oregon is the last one in the country? Yeah. Uh, and they've all, they actually, I was uh, watching something uh, a couple months ago. They're actually talking about franchising. <laughs> Oh my God. Next well, one, Shreveport, Louisiana. Right. Just go straight vintage and sell nothing but VHS and beta. Like, oh, no doubt. DVD there. That's right. Like, and, and Heck, you can set up a viewing window. You can set up a viewing uh, booth in there. You have a whole little movie theater. I like it. Put an adult section in the back. Yeah. I mean, it can take over <laughs> where the kitchen is. But, all right, so is it, you, you're in Uptown Shopping Center right now. Is it a good thing or a bad thing to put a food court there for every other tenant there? No, it's great. I mean, the... Our our real anchor tenants right now yeah. are. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't wine country to us. Wine country was kind of a separate. They're, right. they're a building, but they're over there far enough during the day. People aren't people aren't coming from wine country and really walking. Starbucks between yeah. Starbucks and Jason's Deli or Starbucks and Brookshire's. Yeah. That's where all of your traffic is yeah, yeah, throughout the day. Yeah. They're just going back and forth. And if you're on one of those shops in between there, they're they're hitting you. Um, it, I, yeah, I, I sat at the um, because my power's been out for three days at my office. I was on the porch at wine, not at wine country, at Starbucks, and there's a perfect flow between counterculture and Starbucks. Yeah, like and and they don't argue with each other over who's eating what food or drinking what coffee at what table. Right, that whole patio, it's a fluid thing. Anyway, I, I think it. I don't think it's a bad thing for a Jason's Deli or no, for a Starbucks to have a food court with. You know, certain, you know, five different options. In well, I mean, and, and, uh, and everything over there shuts down late anyways. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. Jason's Deli stays late, but there's not an, an alcohol option. So yeah. you want a restaurant or something in there that, that has that, mm-hmm. and has that kind of draw because that's different. Well, and you're not talking about a food a food court full of, co- you know, miniature coffee shops and sandwich and delis. Right. right. I mean, right. you're talking about true type gastronomic type things that I think Shreveport really is really dying to, to have here. I agree with you. There's just, there aren't any options. And the biggest thing is, is that the upfront costs one, right? Uh, and then your, your staff, uh, if you're the owner of, of the, the restaurant and it's hard to recruit, you know, staff here, not being a college town. And um, so if you're a chef or an aspiring chef, uh, or you've been a sous, sous chef forever and you want to just be your own boss, um, that's kind of what these things are designed for, and the, and the, the group that I worked with out of Charlotte um, uh, that was doing one of these in Charlotte, uh, you know, that was the kind of concept that they were having. It's it's the it's the entrepreneurial. So I mean, your base rental rate is much lower than it ne- it wouldn't it, than what it would necessarily be, but then your percentage rent payments are much yeah. higher. So you're incentivized to to really be profitable. Uh, but at the same time, you're sharing in those profits with the with the uh, the landlord. I love the concept for a restaurant owner too, because they don't have to immediately go out and pay all that money for an alcohol license. Mm-hmm. But to locate in a place where somebody else is fronting all that liability cost and and you know everything else that comes with selling alcohol, and if that's centrally located, maybe owned by the building, so the building's making its money on selling alcohol. I like the idea a whole lot. Um, the uh, one thing I'm talking to everybody about that comes to this podcast is what what needs to happen downtown. I'm one of these people that have kind of bought into this idea that to improve all of Shreveport, we've got to start with the core. Do y'all agree with that or you disagree? Do we start with Lawn Avenue? Do we start with already what already working like Southern Loop? Where do we start to improve the city think, from a real estate perspective? Um, you know, I think downtown is seeing a, a, a kind of a small renaissance, yeah. but, a, you know, you're starting to see more. I wasn't I wasn't a very uh, big fan of downtown, and um, we had, were officing with Andrew Crawford of Rhino Coffee. With, that's where you should have been having coffee, Josh, was Rhino Coffee instead oh, of Starbucks. Oh, but no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, I had to plug him. No, uh, I just think, um, you know, downtown, and when we were in his office, he had the phone to 624 Texas when they would call. And I didn't believe that the amount of uh, interest in it until I, that phone just never stopped ringing. And now that we've had this development that we've been representing down at Ridgeway and we've seen three of five sales so far, people are wanting to come back downtown. And Shreveport, in my opinion, is like, you've you've ever heard the term great bones? Oh, yeah. I think our downtown just 
it just has amazing bones and there's a lot of uh, you know it's moving from the huge oil firm law firm or huge oil companies law firms we're basically the anchor tenants down here and I mean you know my family built the lane building down here we built the chateau we built the holiday inn we built the lake street across the street we built Selwood brothers buildings I mean we've had a lot of experience with this and remember when it was blown and going I just think it the it's changing concepts of downtown are changing even if you look in dallas and you've got to have these parks like clyde warren park you've got to have and i know we're not going to have clyde warren park here but you got to have some like natural or like places to go hang out that aren't in front of the courthouse (laughs) i'll be honest i mean that's the only grass we have on texas and develop green space and you know it's prime to come back and um i just think that people like john kush and those that are doing these uh, loft style living or, or hitting the mark there because the only other residence is for sale in downtown or in Red River Bank building and you know no offense to them they're like you know Gable's apartments you know no offense, no offense at all <laughs> no offense <laughs> yeah well I mean right, if you're coming to live downtown who wants to I mean you're right. coming to live downtown you want exposed brick you want windows I mean well in that in that vein uh, I got to tour Ridgeway so thank you guys for letting me take a look at it a couple weeks ago why don't you tell us what Ridgeway is all about, what the building was, what it used to be, what it's going to be, and tell, like, go into the details about the actual spaces because they're all unique and they're fantastic. Yeah, well, hold on now. one second. Before we get off that uh, into this next topic, I think, you know, let's stick with what you asked Randolph a second ago is that two things really quick is that um, in, in, historically speaking, you look across the country, the, o- the only way you've seen cities bounce back is to create a vibrant downtown, right? Okay. So I agree with that. That's, that's yeah. first. Second, uh, Shreveport's always, to the bones aspect, Shreveport has always been called the the largest small city in the country per capita. We've got the most square footage, at least at one point, had the most square footage downtown for the amount of people that live here. So there are some a lot of opportunities, I think, to come in and do a lot of redevelopment and sort of create that core and that growth that then helps create this vibrant city. But sorry, go back to no, that. You're good. I really think that the building that you guys are representing and selling is a part of that growth. I absolutely do. So tell us about those residences. Birmingham's also seeing that going on right now. Yeah. I don't know if y'all know that. Yeah. yeah, like people are, they call it moving back over the mountain into downtown, and it's a younger mayor, younger city council. I mean, it's kind of what we're doing here. But what sets Ridgeway apart, Ridgeway was the old, so they had Ridgeway printing to, to the left of the condos, the lofts, and then they had their offices where the lofts are, where y'all seen. Yeah. Um, and Ridgeway Printing had all the well logs for the Caddo Pine Island field, which made, you know, north of town, which, so that was what everyone knows, Ridgeway Printing from Shreveport. But okay. what we've done is, uh, and what John Cush has done, is really just kept. To, just to elaborate, they're, they're printing all the plat maps for the yeah, oil fields. Yeah, for the oil fields. And, 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 and that's what Ridgeway did for Pine Island? Caddo Pine Island, uh-huh. Okay. They had the what well logs for all that, so every single oil company in town was north of town. That yeah. was originally, a lot of that started. And, you know, Ridgeway, um, we've really, John has done a great job of, like, keeping, like, modernizing the building but not going going away from the character of these older buildings. You know, and we've got, you know, units, the mayor bought the biggest unit downstairs. We've got a, a guy from, originally from Shreveport that lives in uh, Wyoming that bought a unit. We've got the guy of International Paper as well. We're seeing all different types, but we're seeing a lot of bachelors, single yeah. bachelors. and. You know about the units they're just really really unique i mean you've seen them they're yeah. they're like nothing else and they're affordable compared to other things in downtown i mean other residents have come up in downtown but you know they're six and seven hundred thousand dollars do you have the pictures online anywhere? we do we've got them at uh, ridgewaysquare.com as well as we've got a link on our realtaservices.com okay and uh, we also have these th- really cool 3d tours that you can actually go through the units and on rialto uh no that would be on our facebook and our social media okay. as well so as look at rialto for social media for that yeah and you'll see these tours that you can go through on your phone and um you know they, they have a lot of like it's all open floor concept in the main area with a lot of natural light and these last two units we have actually have balconies which i think um really help for sales as well as we have the only indoor parking in downtown Shreveport for residences yeah it looks good too yeah so how many units are in there right now and how many units are planned for the future we have five in there right now we've got two still available and then we've got three other units going on the other side that'll be all rental okay wow short-term or long-term rental um long-term long-term yeah so um if what Price per square foot. What do you guys sell? You know, we've um, our our highest price per foot we sold, I believe, is up to two forty a foot. Okay. Which in Shreveport, I mean, that's you know that's higher than Providence. That's right. And that's right. Um, as well as it ranges, you know, depending. Let's see, about two forty a foot down to about a hundred. For the biggest one, I think it sold for about one hundred and thirty-five a foot. That's fantastic. Yeah. You guys are already selling so many of those. 
you've sold three. Um, yeah, we have a lot of interest on the other two. Um, when I first took over in that deal, it, uh, I was shocked. These were the last, I would have bet money these were the first two that would sell. Right. I thought the same thing. You know, I've been I've been working on this. Uh, you know, with Megan before Randolph and Nick joined us, and I thought those were going to be the first two to move. Okay. And what's really unique about them, and it's taken a lot longer to roll them out, but John's the first to tell you that, you know what, I'm just going to be really particular. I may be walking, you know, down the street in Dallas somewhere, and I see something in a window, and I'm like, that's going to be cool in there. And he immediately does a change order. And so, but they're you saw it. Yeah, you they're saw absolutely it. the most unique things I've seen in the downtown Shreveport. The, All of his change orders. The claw foot tubs and the tie, the... Uh, you know the little hex tile floors. Yes, yeah, character. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was, you're, you're bringing character back into the building, which yeah, is kind I, of. Uh, and that's the thing. All of his change orders were just fantastic change orders. Yeah. I mean, they they really helped create that uniqueness. Yeah, yeah, I think they're fantastic. Nick, what what do you think? Um, obviously, Rialta is residential and rental. People living there. And I'm I'm not going to use the cliche that we've heard a thousand times, but you're in retail in business. Yep. And. I've heard all these retail ideas for downtown, but then there's a lot more people in kind of investing in the residential side of downtown. But in order to attract more residents, we need more of ABCD. And, and then, right. so what is the ABCD we need? Do we need more residential before the ABCD or do we need? Man, I'll hit you with another cliche, chicken, chicken in the egg. And that's man. the one I'm talking about. I'm telling you, dude. We said we weren't gonna say that on this podcast. That's right, but, but I but said it. Matt Glatton said it, chicken and egg. Well, so what, what's the deal? Car what do we do? The horse. Dude, I, I mean, honestly, I don't, I don't know what you do. You're, you obviously yeah. need enough retail to support uh, people living down here that that don't want to drive. Because right now, right now, downtown is still seen, I mean, in Shreveport standards, yeah. as a destination. Yep. I mean, everywhere else, this is this is close. Mm-hmm. I mean, because, I mean, we just drove from, from our offices, and it was, wasn't seven or eight minutes yeah. to get down here. I mean, it's not far. But it's still seen by everyone as a destination. It's going to be seen by the residents as a destination mm-hmm. to go get groceries and to go get any other kind of basic services. So you need basic services down here. But name one. A grocery. Okay. Name grocery. two. <laughs> you need some kind of shopping. Okay. All right. Is is retail dead? I mean, can do people still? I think it's gone through a rent. I think it's gone through like a uh, chain. I mean, you've got Amazon and this whole just internet. I think it's. People call it a retail apocalypse. I think it's just sort of a um, leaning up period. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. and I think it's also sort of a return to uh, the boutique type retail. Special. They don't. You know, they don't need really big spaces. They've got concepts or ideas that are really kind of neat and cool. And you know, I agree. I mean, I've been saying this since I moved back from Houston. Is that you need a grocery store downtown? Um, you know, other places that have successfully redeveloped uh, areas like this, Houston being one of them. You know, you subsidize a grocery store. I know you and I have talked about it before. Uh, you don't necessarily think it's it, it, it's needed. Regardless, we need a grocery store. But I, I will also say that you need the sort of the new blood, the invigoration of people that want to come in and create the concepts like the John Cush Cushes or like the guys who just bought uh, 400 Texas Tower, which mm-hmm. used to be the old Chase Bank building. Yeah. Uh, they got some really interesting ideas that they're wonderful. Out-of-town guys Out of that town see, guys. The, the, see the good bones in Shreveport. Yeah. And sometimes the people who live in Shreveport who could afford to invest in the good bones don't see the good bones that are right in front of them. Exactly. Well, and here's here's another thing, is that nobody ever really think, stops and thinks about it, but the reason why all of these people moved out of downtown and moved into these suburban little... Uh, Enclaves. Yeah, like a lot of fern and, and <laughs> yeah. whatnot. Yeah. They were moving out of downtown is because there was... All the retail was gone. Yeah. All the restaurants were gone. And yeah. they're sitting there thinking, well, why am I driving downtown and coming to this office when I can go uh, you know, be at an office right next to my house mm-hmm. and then uh, you know, then I've got all of these other options that are within sure. just two or three minutes. Yeah. So if you kind of bring back that, uh, uh, that, uh, that in, and reinvigorate sort of the retail restaurant side of things, um, that will, in my opinion, help drive the office market back, but uh, it will also help support the market rate residential. Right. I want to get. I'm not totally to sold on a grocery store downtown, in my opinion, and I'll just give you why. You said, I, I'm not totally again? sold that a grocery store is the answer downtown. Okay. Uh, and the reason why, I mean, I was in Dallas last weekend and staying downtown at the Sheraton, and I was driving over near like Victory Park and um, that area, and that was like the closest Tom Thumb, and it was like. One and a half miles. How far is the North Market, Brookshire's? 
from oh, yeah it's great that's what i'm saying so i mean every big city it was sort of like when the you know i'm not trying to get off the topic here but when when the whole circle k stuff on Piermont was going on and you go into these austin dallas houston these you know seven figure eight figure uh uh neighborhoods where everything's selling for multi-millions of dollars they have that right next to them yeah and people around here oh god what the what it's going to bring what it's going to bring i think shreveport gets scared of change because it's just scared of the unknown but that's the, literally the i know that's so like surface level but that's literally what has to change the mentality between that and parking well, we have too much parking down here. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and you know, when I say uh, a grocery store downtown, I don't mean physically in downtown. I yeah. mean at the edge of town. So you're not just hitting the downtown market. You're also hitting, say, North Highlands or people that are leaving downtown and wanting yeah. to get on I-20. No, I agree. Well, and I, and I think the concept, of gr- the, the word grocery store means different things, or it means one thing to most people in a town like Shreveport, but to me, a downtown grocery store means something completely different. Right. It means something that resident, all right, to, I want to get back to the idea of subsidy, but I'm going to ask Nick this, how long, and I think you and I probably share the same concept, I can walk in, grab a bottle of wine, maybe grab uh, a pre-made salad from Maxwell's, even though I'm not on Lawn Avenue, right. and I can get um, some bakery items from Whisk, but I don't have to drive along Avenue, and and maybe uh, maybe I get a steak from Smith Family Farms that's in the same little grocery store. Right. So I can go home, I can throw a salad in the bowl, cook a steak, open some wine, and I have dessert already made by Blake. Right. Right. That's this kind of pre. It's half pre-made, half. How long before that thing could be profitable in the middle of downtown? Ooh. I mean, put it in the. I mean, on the corner of Highway One and Highway Eight. Oh my gosh, man, that's a. That's a that's a tough question. Well, you, what you're what you're asking is is an ETS. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. And you know, who knows uh, how long it would take. What to, type of subsidy do you think would be required from the city or the state to make something? But if this I hate that chicken and egg thing. But if it's truly the that scenario, how many years before a subsidy can just kind of wash away and then it, then it breaks even? Well, and I I'll, well. In, in the subsidy, I'm meaning more of a traditional grocery store. Now, what you're talking about, like an Eatsy's, I think that uh, for the most part, you start off with the lunch crowd, mm-hmm. um, and then you start building the components that are starting to serve your clientele that lives down there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's the way that concept works, right? Okay. So you don't just come right in and you just throw everything in there and right. it's, you open up. You, I think you've got to compartmentalize it and start adding those pieces, figuring out what your clientele wants. Mm-hmm. Um, and your clientele may be people in, in, in the offices as well. I mean, you're, you're not just, oh, you're you're not just saying residential, but you do want to start engaging your residential uh, clientele that, you know, want to have that access to the things that the you know the, the the fresh foods and and everything that they need. And my, and my thought was, you're 14 floors up at the Regents Tower. It's six o'clock at night. You're working still. You're not going to leave till 6:30. And and you know you got to eat something. You don't feel like stopping. If if you knew at noon you could just run down to this place, get everything you needed for dinner, and you so you know you, you're looking at this place all day long. You get I mean, I, the last estimate was like 14,000 people come downtown every day and then turn around and leave. I don't know if that's number still that high. But absolutely, that's your market. Your market isn't the 900 people that live downtown, 800. Right. They're shopping at your store once every two weeks. Well, but that, that's the thing is that, but what we're talking about yeah. is creating that vibrant downtown, which is the, the residential component. That's yeah, why yeah. I'm saying you're, yeah, how do you get starting that, to right. compartmentalize it. Yeah. Um, you start off more as a, 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 a you know, the, the a, a lunch food option. Okay. And then you kind of, engage your customer base and yeah. start figuring out what you need to add and what you think will work and you know you may test run something and it just flops yeah um you, may, you know you got to be willing to kind of run through some ideas and and what may work and what may not work i mean you may have 100 people say yeah if you brought that concept in here i think it would uh, i would buy it right well you bring it in there and not a single one of those 100 people buy yeah. it yeah we did that a lot in retail. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's an easier crowd to like to figure out. It is. Like, I mean, I it mean, is. I really think your target market on Lawn Avenue is 
much easier to figure out than downtown. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, I think, you know, I talk to people at office down here and, you know, half the time, or not half the time, all the time I'm meeting them. If I'm not meeting them at the Shreveport Club or the Petroleum Club or something like that, I mean, I don't know where else people eat in downtown. Yeah. Well, and here's the thing. Go back to the food trucks that I that I brought into downtown is that they were some of the phenomenal options. Mm -hmm. and. They and part of the complaint was is that Sorry. even with these phenomenal options, people still wanted to get in their car and go drive oh, yeah, 10, 15 minutes, yeah. right? So, no. you know, you, you possibly still can capture that crowd by having them walk a couple of minutes to your uh, your store, um, and that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to keep people from getting in their car and driving out, out, out of downtown. I think the people that are going to do that are going to do that. And I think how do you attract people that aren't going to do that? And, then, and find the people in Shreveport that aren't going to do that, number one, and then create a Shreveport where more people are willing to move here and then become that target market. Right? Yeah, but, you, you know, you also have to keep in mind that pretty much your only food options downtown are pretty much delis, right? Yeah. Um, I'm not talking about your deli deli foods. Uh, and, 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 you know, you got uh, Abby Singers and you've got um, – Paris Taco. Paris Taco. Um, but I'm talking Rhino, something. Rhino's got some good options for food. Yeah. Nicky's. Best best breakfast burrito in town, that's for sure. But um, Nicky's is down here. For the most part, though, yeah. you know, the people, when they're thinking of food downtown, they're thinking of the, the delis. You yeah, know, the yeah. delis in Louisiana Tower, Tower uh, regions. regions yeah. You know, Louisiana Tower, uh, at, at one point, they had something on that second second floor. Cheesecakes and more. No, no, no. That's on the first floor. Okay. I don't know if they still have it, uh, but they basically were doing fried foods and hamburgers. Yeah. Um, and you know maybe that works, maybe it doesn't. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about your upper end yeah. um, uh, food concepts okay. that that aren't too pricey. And the only yeah. way that they're not too pricey is that you know the rental rates have to be in line. And that's okay. the only way. At that point, you're not talking about a subsidy per se, except the owner's offering an amenity. Um, and ex for example, in Houston. Almost every single office building that I, I would go into when uh, when I was doing uh, you know my brokerage and, and even the building that I worked in and the one next door, uh, the basements were the food. Yeah. And every single one of them was their their rental rate was pay utilities. Okay. All right. Well, what let's talk about the residential market. You two guys uh, are in the residential market. And we've, we've talked a lot about commercial. What do you guys see the trend is in Treeport right now? Is there is that a trend you're comfortable with? Is that a trend you'd like to see change? What's what's going on? Yeah, it's a trend I'd like to see change. I mean, um, you know, I think Shreveport, you've got your t two spots generally. You're either in town or you're south of town right yeah. now, or at least with what we deal with a lot. Yeah. I mean, there are other spots in Shreveport. But I just think right now, we residentially, it's, it's kind of trying to find its identity. It's kind of like... Is South Highlands, you know, are people coming back South Highlands, are people moving south? I, I don't know. I, I personally feel like it's it's kind of in limbo right now. Okay, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I'm the same way. I mean, we're, you know, we're seeing these neighborhoods we grew up in, in Broadmoor and in South Highlands start to get a little bit older. We're starting to see some of the people move south. Um, we're starting to see it become more competitively priced in those neighborhoods, mm -hmm. too. I mean, like the price per square foot in South Highlands now has dropped below the price per square foot in Elder Road Estates. So Elder Road Estates is selling at a higher price per square foot than South Highlands. Um, and is that a sign of the new grocery and stuff going out there? Probably a little bit. Is that a sign of people trying to get out of the center of town? Um, you know, that, that could be also. Uh, but we're seeing, at least I'm seeing, a lot more of these properties come up that need to be rehabilitated too, because I mean, obviously I deal in that also. Yeah. Um, we're seeing a lot of that come up in South Highlands now and trying to hang on to those streets and those edges, the Gladstones, the Stevensons, trying to hang on to those properties to keep them from falling too far below and letting that creep across, uh, creep across the neighborhood. How do, how do you do that? How do you get people that are willing to buy an older house, put money into an older house, not have the perfect garage, the per you know what I mean? Like, yeah. All these new constructions, every, all the houses are the same, but they... They have what people want, the open floor concept, new appliances, whatever. How do you get people excited about the fact that we have some of these great old neighborhoods that were built between 1925 and 1950? Man, you have to show them. I mean, yeah. you actually have to show them uh, through through what you're doing. I mean, it, that's achievable. Yeah. That's achievable in these properties right now in town, and it's feasible. So you can actually take a lot of these houses and redo them, and you're, you've, you've got instant equity, and that's, that's easy to do that. I mean, that's... 
that's kind of that's a no-brainer yeah. I wish we could get more uh, I think I think the builders now because they look at what they can do south of town and the sizes they can do they don't look at these smaller houses in town anymore these 1500 1600 under 2,000 square foot houses that they could easily come in and redo uh, and get the same bang for their buck on I mean you don't have to you don't have to remodel a 3500 square foot house in yeah. town I mean that's uh, but you need to kind of hold on to these lines and kind of reinvigorate these neighborhoods. Otherwise, you are. You're going to lose them, man. You're, they'll be just like Highland in, in 20 years. You, all right, you bring up Highland, and I, I had this idea a few years back, and I'm going to throw it out to some real estate guys, see what you think. Highland, the, you know, the next step is South Highlands after Highland, right? right so right. We, we've seen what's happened to Highland since, you know, 1990, 1995, whatever. What if you rezone that to make it mixed use? What if you allowed businesses to operate in there if they were willing to put in X amount of dollars? Like rehab one building, the city could identify certain dilapidated properties that need to be torn down, figure out a way to get those, tear them down, maybe even create landscape parking lots and lighting, but turn it into more like an uptown New Orleans mixed use neighborhood where businesses could invest business money, write stuff off, give them tax breaks to open and I don't mean liquor stores and payday loans. I'm talking about small little CPA firms, right. or an eyeglass shop, or an eye doctor wants to open, optometrist wants to open up. And I know that's kind of pie in the sky, but I can't see Shreveport residential. I, I can't see folks in Shreveport moving back into Highland, redoing it, and doing what needs to be done there. No, I can't either. I, I really can't. How do you um, save it? I mean. That, that's a loaded question. I mean, I, yeah. I don't. Well, I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, How do you, you save it? A population boom. Yeah, okay. yeah. white collar and more white collar. I mean, okay. we've we got to continue to push white collar, uh, you know, industry and gro job growth yeah. here, um, and those are the types of people who like the history and want to get in, or maybe have a lot more of an artistic look uh, yeah. and touch. I mean, you saw you see it in Austin, you see it in yeah. Houston. I'm sure there's pockets in Dallas that are kind of like that, um, but uh, I think that's one one big part of it. But to your point on on Highland, um, you know maybe it's a hybrid. Um, there's a, I was reading an article that uh, Bobby Jelks gave, uh, gave gave us that was talking about this program in in Milwaukee or maybe it was somewhere in, in Wisconsin, I believe. Um, and it talked about how it was reinvigorating some of their, you know, from light from light to bought. Yeah. Did, did you read that? I think you shared that with me, Thomas. But I, that's um, yeah, I've, I've read part of that. Yeah. Basically, you're, you're you're getting the community to buy in to the neighborhood, and <clears throat> instead of just being habitual renters, yeah. And then you incentivize them to also buy some of these houses next to them, fix them up, and yeah. become landlords. Okay. And so your landlord's right next door to you, okay. right? Yeah. So they're going to have an eye on it. And that's that, that whole, how that program yeah. sort of took off, and it's done so, very, very well. So the landlords are incentivized by virtue of actually living in the neighborhood to maintain the properties and keep the properties up rather than being... Um, you know what do you call them landlords the absentee landlords yep and 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 then those renters they then have the opportunity to, to do the exact same thing that their landlord did right so it's it's a really interesting program that uh, that, that they've 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 uh, they've developed is that there. in Milwaukee I think it's I think, I think it's that article is called from blight to bought and if, if, when we post this um, podcast if, if that's the article you're talking about or find the article send yeah it I've, I've got it I've, I'll, I'll, upload I'll email it, it to you um, it, it was in um, uh, it was in a philanthropy magazine that right. uh, that that he uh, subscribes to. All right, um, I could definitely talk about this all day. I know it's noon, and you guys probably have other uh, plans. But oh no, I blocked off till five p.m. We're probably up to three or four listeners at this point, so um, <laughs> you know, we can give them as many hours as you want. Let's get that back down to two, and then okay. we can go. All right. <laughs> well, all right. You guys touched on jobs and how to get more jobs into the town. Um, Man, that's like I don't I don't know what. Do, Man, it's like ideas? business. It, business revenue solves all your problems in business. Okay. So here, people, yeah, like people will solve a lot of the How problems. How do you get them here? Man, that's we go and capture them and drug them <laughs> and bring them back in vans and drop. But I mean, people aren't happy. Why are we country? here? Like why? Yeah, I mean, why are we in Shreveport? There are a lot why of residents leaving. There are a lot of residents that are asking themselves that question every I, single day. Oh, absolutely, they are. And I, I have mean, that conversation every day. 
you know, I think uh, people like the, you know, it's not a, it's not a um, small town per se, but it kind of is, and it's not, it's like a bigger small or a, uh, yeah, bigger small town almost is what I'm trying to say. I think people like the, um, you know, frankly, a lot of the guys that I went to school with, I would never want to raise my kids in Dallas. Yeah, just straight up, yeah. I and mean, I just would not. Yeah. Whereas Shreveport kind of shielded you from, from some things that you might not necessarily have seen in these other big cities. Or yeah, you would have seen, and I also think. Um, you know, all right, we do have a, a pretty good school system. I, I never was in it, but you know, I, I seem like it. It's yeah. a good school system. It's getting better. I'm a product you of Shreveport Public School. Yeah. Nick is too. Trent. Yeah. I, mean, I don't. You know, if I'm not a parent, but yeah. I know for a fact that if your kid can't test into a magnet program and you can't afford to live in the right neighborhoods, you might rough. be in a bind. Yeah. Um, but uh, anyway, so that's that's a topic for a different day, but. If you can get into the magnet schools, and there are a few neighborhood schools too, if you can get into those, your education's fine. Oh yeah, without a doubt. I, I just think you know we need to go start specializing okay. in something, figuring out you know something that we can do that because uh, you know we have a workforce here. It just just doesn't seem like we have the right work for them. Well, okay. and it's you're touching on a point there: schools and safety. Well, I've, I've heard schools and safety. No. Okay. schools and airport. Schools and airport. Um, right. Those to me are the two biggest drivers, and I, I will tell you this: is that the the schools really need to be uh, uh, it fixed from the state level on how they address these schools. Uh, you know, so I'm uh, friends with uh, the the principal at Loyola, Johnny LeBlanc, and his his wife and his wife's brother and I were best friends growing up, <clears throat> and she's been teaching at Huntington, and she loves it. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, her entire career. So, I mean, uh, and we were. Uh, in Natchitoches at their parents' house last summer, and we were sitting there talking about it. And she said, "You know, they don't. It's like they don't ask teachers, right? What how this could, could be fixed to better serve the community. Yep. And they just put it on to the school districts, mm -hmm. and the school Trickle. districts have to try to figure it out. What trickles teachers. down to the classroom, and the teacher gets stuck with it. Yeah. And so I, I thought it was very interesting is that, that they don't really go out and talk to the teachers who have ideas, um, you know, but that's a lot of the same issues that uh, Shreveport's been plagued with is, you know, everybody's siloed and compartmentalized and they don't go out and talk to people like what you're doing right here with this podcast, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know... I'm not supporting or against it. Uh, I haven't even really given it much thought, but like what we talked about when we first got here is Ten Manger, you know, trying to take all of these siloed uh, uh, pockets of development and economic development growth that are organizations here and kind of wrapping them up in one and being a centralized way to push that out yeah. just for this area. Um, that's actually an, an idea that I've been talking about for the past five years yeah. is that the first thing I, I, I noticed is that why didn't anybody talking to each other? And I said, this is crazy. Yeah. Um, Maybe everybody's hoping they have the big idea to get all the credit. I don't know. Yeah. I, I mean, I couldn't care less about credit. Yeah. I think another thing that I, you know, have tried to dispel along with a lot of people I know is there's so many sideline critics of Shreveport, oh, yeah. people that are not willing to like start a business, roll up your sleeves, invest back in the community, but are going to sit on the sidelines and talk about how bad it is and how this and that. And generally you look at them and you're like, what are you doing to change that? Yeah, we talked about that. Liz and I talked about that I mean, this morning. And it's our, like a disease. It is. But when, when we were talking about the, the, the thing last night, the, the every man a king Groundbreaking, yeah, yeah. man, and already people were talking about. There's no way that's going to make it. Oh yeah, there's no yeah. way that's going to make it. There's no Which way. Which is the, you know, it's just it's, like man, they bet on losing. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like, come on. Well, and he, and then the people that you, you know, the people that may have money to invest back in this community, sometimes they're the loudest critics of this this city, talking about how bad it is, yeah. and it's like, all right, so. And maybe they've been burned over the years. I don't know. I've never tried to invest a bunch of money in something and then you know see it tank and then get to sit on the sidelines and say that maybe they have well, some actually experience. most of those people saying that have made a fortune around Shreveport. that's what i'm saying <laughs> is they made their money off of Shreveport. so if they, they were in another right? city i don't know a lot of the people saying it didn't make any money but they're, they're yeah i know what you mean yeah yeah, yeah no, i know what you mean but it's plenty of money off the Shreveport yeah. system that's, and, and now when, they're like oh our public schools suck i can't send my kid there like we're pretty sure you went to those and you seem to be doing just fine oh yeah i mean that that's kind of the uh uh you know, people's attitudes, some of these people that are so loud about how bad Shreveport is and yeah. how bad they, you know, I've known a guy that used to have a firm here that moved away and just, you know, continue to talk Shreveport, Shreveport, Shreveport. But 
I just think people aren't willing to roll up their sleeves and get dirty. And right. there's plenty. Anyone that says there's not, and I'm not talking about like social things. I am one of the least social people you'll meet. But I'm That's talking true. about uh, <laughs> business stuff, <laughs> business stuff, and entrepreneurship and all that. There's a lot going on here. It, you know, if you just get your head out of the dirt yeah. and go go and be active in this. And and I'm not active, like I said, socially, but I'm very active in the business stuff. And I see it every day. People wanting to do stuff. And but then you know I. I have two very close friends who love to just tank on Shreveport. Oh, yeah. But, you know, it, it just, I don't know. I could talk for hours about that. It fr- infuriates me. If you come in with a negative attitude into anything, it's a bad idea. And, yeah, that's, um, a, that's a fact. You know, they, they come in with these negative attitudes, but they're not willing to put their skin in the game. But they're happy to sit there and tell us, you know, this and that. Well, and, and to that point, like, all of us have lived elsewhere, and we're all back here, and we're all in, you know, you guys are in real estate, I'm in law practice. We're sitting in a an incubator space for for new entrepreneurs and businesses. You know, there are towns where you can't get anywhere in twenty minutes. No, nah. we can really get almost anywhere we want, and for better or worse, with the interstate system. The, the more I read up on cities that have cultivated the big interstate system, the more I realize it can it can kill a town, especially when you can get out to these big fancy suburbs in a matter of ten minutes. So your business core starts building far out, but a topic for a different day. We can get anywhere we want in 10 minutes. It's not that difficult to find cheap office space in Shreveport. Open, you can buy a beautiful house for $150,000, $200,000 in, in a great old tree-lined neighborhood that some people would kill for in larger cities. And you're very close to the city core. Why not move here? Like how many people are unhappy with where they live? They're unhappy with their commute. They're unhappy with their huge mortgage or huge rent. Yeah. Like why not come here? Like that, I mean like what, what economic development does Shreveport need to embark upon to go to these other places, find them, and bring them back? Well, some of that's also state level, what we're talking about here. Oh, yeah, I, I, agree. I, I mean, you know, Texas is a prime example. I mean, it's a no income tax state, it's all based on property taxes. And when all of your state income is centered on property taxes, mm-hmm. you want to know what you're trying to do? Make your real estate more, more, more attractive to increase values. Okay. Right? Yeah. Um, it, and that's exactly what Texas focuses on. Okay. How to get businesses in, create the real estate value that then funds their state government. Okay. Where, where ours is sales tax based. So. Uh, oh yeah, and 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 they do everything they can to try to keep business out in some instances, uh, in mass. You know, now if you're a big company and you're trying to relocate into Louisiana, yeah, you can go and you can get all these credits in one thing or another. But what you're talking about is getting people that are attracted to this area who are the smaller businesses and those in, those big incentives yeah. just they're not there for the, those types of people is the city of shreveport to like from a political perspective is the city of shreveport sending anybody out into the world to tell people about this or go to other cities where folks are looking for cheaper real estate looking for better or not really better jobs i can't say that we can go advertise we have better jobs but we have more opportunity if you want to start your own thing or if you, you know, if you can work remotely. The like, barriers of entry into Shreveport are not as strong as other places. That's another thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you can in one generation go from the bottom to the top in Shreveport pretty easily. You don't I, have to, um, you know, there, there's not, like he's saying, there's not a whole lot of barriers in the way. I mean, you can yeah. really get in and start doing what you want to do and actually pushing that outside the borders of Shreveport and outside the borders of the state. I mean, yeah. you have that kind of ability to create a product or, or anything like that well and, and to your question I've been saying the same thing uh, for the past two uh, 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 mayors is it didn't seem like they were sending people out to promote Shreveport but uh, was it a, a CID um, uh, commercial real estate association uh, for, for our community uh, I was at a luncheon yesterday at Superior Steakhouse and the mayor was speaking I was actually pleased to hear that Brandon Fell is now doing that. He's hopping yeah. on planes and he's going to talk to people, which I ha- that hasn't been promoted, but I, I, I can tell you I never heard of anybody doing that in the pre- uh, two previous administrations. Yeah. Well, it seems like a lot of the folks that are doing well in Shreveport are pretty content with the way things are, and, and the folks that aren't are just, you know, they're, they're always not content because they're not, they've always been in that situation and, and no one's looking at the middle. Um, no one's trying to improve the core. So, um, well, and, and, and to improve the middle, you need to improve the middle class, right? I agree. Uh, and that's what makes uh, an area successful. That's what has rebounded Shreveport and past uh, downturns is yeah. that you saw a resurgence in the middle class. 
Um, but without a middle class, you've got uh, higher crime and um, you know lower satisfaction. I agree. All right, let's see what else we got for you guys. Who's my next podcast guest, Nick? <laughs> Name somebody. Throw somebody <laughs> under the bus. Oh my God! I don't know what uh, what directions have you already been in. Uh, me and Chase Borden talked about all kinds of cool stuff about downtown, what his next plans are, you know, how he's been able to make a living at, you know, doing fatties. He's got a really fancy ice maker that I'm now interested in, and he saws up his own ice cubes. For who? For, for fatties. For real? Oh, you yeah. get a cocktail over there? He's made his ice here at Cohab, and he's got a saw, like a, like a jigsaw or like something. Like a bandsaw, and he just bandsaws his ice? He makes his own ice out of this really fancy. clear. You can <laughs> right through it. Wow. Really, really fancy high-end ice maker, and we talked for a while about that. He gave me some good names of some folks that are doing some business downtown, um, and you know who, who's working to improve the town at, a, at like a real like get their hands dirty, roll their sleeves up kind of level. Who should I talk to? I mean, I think you just need to have us back every yeah, every okay. week. <laughs> uh, I mean, I know this is probably what everybody would say, but I mean, I would I would talk to uh, I know. He's probably gives a lot. Andrew Crawford. Yeah, Andrew yeah absolutely. I mean, he's got a business down here. His family's been down here for generations. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think he'd be because you know he sees both sides. He sure does. Yeah. And he he just like like you and I were talking, Nick. You, you see the Line Avenue side. You know, you kind of where the higher income used to be primarily concentrated before it got spread out further south. And then you see the downtown, and I'm I, I'm really interested in those perspectives, like the Jason Brady perspective. Yeah, Jason he, Brady would be excellent. Yeah. Well, it, and keep in mind, you know, this isn't just buy-in of our generation and younger. Yeah. Um, I think you need people that are of the older generations that believe in Shreveport. Uh, and uh, who? Who's my I, next? Who's I, my? I mean, I don't know if you'd do it, but Dickie Grider, I think, would be fantastic. I like what he's done on the corner of Texas and mm -hmm. Marshall. Texas and Marshall? The, uh, yeah. He really cleaned up that corner. It looks really nice now. And he's all about young people. And oh, yeah. And, and he is he is a, you know, he bleeding is. heart for Shreveport. Um, well, that's awesome. And and downtown Shreveport. Well, we're putting uh, Mr. Grider on the list. We're going to put Mr. Crawford on the list. Randall Grant, another one. I'd Grant, yeah, Grant. absolutely. He's a chew-in. And then um, I think some other people you talked to. I mean, heck. I mean, I don't. You don't know how political. Bring Adrian on. I'd love to have Adrian yeah. on. Yeah, Adrian. I'm, he's probably he's probably underwater right now. But we'll, yeah, we'll bring him maybe in for a few weeks, bit. few months. Hopefully, he'll uh, have some time to come on the show. Well, um, does anybody have a big idea they haven't talked about already? The big idea for Shreveport: how to get the jobs, how to get the planes to fly in, improve the airport, improve the jobs. Well, I think with jobs come airport improvements. Come, it's it's the jobs. Okay. Without everything comes with jobs, taxes, better airports. Yeah. Well, what, what would you be willing to do to get the big company here? Like anything, like any tax that breaks, any... I mean, I think we should. You know, we've got to get something here, and I think we should I'd, offer offer the, the house, basically. And as far as airports go, um, you know, it's, it's not as much about a bigger and better airport, per se. It's uh, learning how to compete against the, you know, DFW, who... Yeah. Uh, and, and I think I've talked about this with everybody. I mean, you read my letter to the editor from a couple of weeks ago. And some of those like predatory practices to, to force people in local areas to to, to drive to yeah. DFW yeah. to fly, and they're incentivized. Okay. And, and the guy that I that, that I was reading that article, he was the director of that airport. Uh, he was basically touting that that's what he does. And to me, I just kept thinking when I was reading it. I was living in Texas at the time. He's like, he's basically telling Shreveport, "Hey, I yeah. don't care about you." Yeah. And the folks who can't afford to pay the premium drive the Dallas to fly out. Well, it's it's the it's the two parents that have four kids yeah. and two hundred dollars extra per plane ticket. Yeah. That's expensive. That's what I've seen in Shreveport. If you if, if you have sufficient means, your kids get to go to whatever school. You can live in a very very safe neighborhood. You can um, have whatever office space and whatever house you want because everything's cheap around here. You can eat out every night at you know great restaurants because we have all that scene. And you can fly from Shreveport to anywhere you want, yeah, but you go under a certain income level. And we don't have that, and I think that's the what, what the core of the town needs to be built upon. And, and you know, I don't know what it takes to to, to compete, but I will tell you this: is that uh, you know, I, I would say, I mean, the thing that really kind of spurred that letter to the editor was the fact that you basically had a, a, another high-paid consultant that came into this market, which is what we always have. Just like the ones that when I first started uh, working in commercial real estate here. There was some group flown in from Chicago or somewhere, 
and they came back. They were supposed to do all these big wild, you know, wild things, and their recommendations were a bike lane and turning some streets downtown two ways. I, I mean, that's many, many thousands of dollars, right? So then now you have this this aviation company that's saying, uh, "Sorry, there's nothing you can do." Yeah. Huh? There's got to be something you can do. Well, why, why not somebody proactively go out and study the economics of airports and how to compete against the big ones? I mean, I don't know. I found the prices recently to not be too much of a difference. I have more PTSD from some traumatic experiences trying to get back into Shreveport. Now, that might just be because of, uh, now you've got traumatic, just sitting on the tarmac forever. Um, the uh, I think it just, it might be with any small town connectors. Yeah. It's it's just like, I can't seem to fly in or out without having a delay. Well, I mean, and Dallas like puts us on the, oh. on, on, at the end. Oh, of they're the, like Shreveport? The very, very. Yeah. I lost yeah, a fortune there. I'm not yeah. helping. Yeah. I, I had somebody that, that kind of related in, in DFW one time, to, related why that is. It's because all, almost all of the pilots that fly in and out of this market are all on-call pilots. Oh, yeah. So if there's not an on-call pilot available, then you sit there and you wait. And they may even load the plane um, and make you sit there and wait, which okay. we've all done before. But I actually had a pilot sit there and tell me that and when I was sitting in DFW one time. Okay. All right. Anything else that I haven't asked you that you want to put out there today? Yeah. All right. Thank you guys yeah, for being here. Right. Check, yeah. out, uh, check out Rialta's website. Check out RidgewaySquare.com. And um, and Trent, send me that article when you can find it. I think I already have it, but I'll put it up. I can send it to you right now. Awesome, guys. Thank you so much. Have a great weekend. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Take care.